Well, this is a perfect setup, Popey, because you're sitting in a bar as we record this again, which is exactly where you're going to spend your weekend when you pull the option. This is what Pete DeBoer used to do on the final trip of the season to Sault Ste. Marie when he was head coach and GM in Kitchener. There would be a final trip to the Sioux, and he would have scouting duties or office duties or something that kept him in Kitchener. Everybody else went to the Sioux. That's where you're sending me, and you're going to go to the bar and enjoy outdoor hockey. Nice. Nice. My life isn't difficult. eh? I have to give up watching hockey and getting paid for it to watch hockey and get paid for it. I don't know if I can really complain, but uh, I listen, I would love to go up to the Sioux. You and I both talk all the time about how much of a joy it is to go up to that city and how much we love it up there. When we're there, the bus ride isn't so great, but when you're there, it's a great spot to be the hotel right across. You got the water right there. You can walk around a couple of good coffee shops, a couple of good breweries to go to. The rink is great. The team is great. There's not a lot about that city that you and I don't like besides Lop Lop's cover charge. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to miss the trip up to the Sioux. I will say that. And I know that I'm leaving it in capable hands like yourself. You're going to get to uh, enjoy the outdoor game in Hamilton this weekend. And of course, the Ontario Hockey League is following up with an outdoor game of its own. We talked about this on the podcast before. I'm kind of over the whole outdoor game thing, but I will say, love what Mike Andlauer is doing for the Hamilton Bulldogs and frankly, for the city of Hamilton. And absolutely love what the Oshawa Generals have done with their unis for that game. Yowza, they look good. They look so slick, but there's, we were talking on air the other day, like has Oshawa done anything that hasn't worked? Like even when they traded, you know, their captain to Niagara just a couple (laughs) of years ago, they still beat Niagara in the playoffs. (laughs) Like they're one of the premier organizations in this league. We've had how many generals or Pete's on our podcast in the past talking about that rivalry Um, as, as far as my money. And I'm sure a lot of people's money. Oshawa's in the top three or top two, maybe, franchises in the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah. Hey, and listen, speaking of money, that dovetails nicely into the money that the Ontario Hockey League is getting from the Ontario government. Uh, it's part of an overall $30 million package for sports, recreation, tourism, et cetera. $3 million bucks to the O, which will help teams pay the 17 Ontario based teams, mind you, there are three in the States, but those 17 teams are going to get some financial support to meet their scholarship obligations. So I haven't done the breakdown per team, but you're looking at roughly, I don't know, in those 17 teams, like 30, 40 K, but you know, Hey, it's, it's, it's money that the league didn't have before. Yeah. It's not, it's not a massive number and I don't think it should be a head turning number by any means, but at least the, the government is showing the importance of the Ontario league. And again, giving them money to help out with that big expenditure that they have when it comes to scholarships. There's a lot of teams that fork out a lot of money every year that for kids that go and use their education package. So 3 million, it's not 30 million. It's not, you know, 17 million, but at least it's something to help out these franchises that are obviously struggling, struggling after a canceled year last year, no fans for a handful of games this year, 500 fans for a few handful more. There's a lot of teams that are going to be struggling right now. And I think that $3 million is, it's not a lot, but it, it definitely helps. You're not going to look a gift horse in the mouth when it comes to 
money. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it works out to like 150k per team, give or take. So it's it's not bad. I, I wonder how people will react to you know this amateur league or it's though it got the elite status right where fans could start going before our minor hockey teams could get fans back etc but uh, i don't know how people will react to the idea that this amateur league is getting money and financial support from the provincial government but hey an election's not too far away and doug ford wants some votes and damn it if you're at an ohl game you can vote for doug ford too well i was gonna say i could tell you how it's gonna go over but (laughs) you know we could sit here and talk about that and the political ramifications of it but I think our job on here is to talk about how it affects the OHL and it affects the OHL positively because again, it's not a lot of money, but at least the teams are getting some help in a time when they desperately need it. You are uh, loving the way three players are affecting the Owen sound attack positively and Colby Barlow, Servak, Petrovsky and Cedric Ganton, all three of these rookies, albeit a couple of them playing what would be their, their second year, but first year playing in the Ontario Hockey League because of the double cohort. And they are all going to smash a 15-year-old record in Owen Sound when Bobby Ryan, uh, back I think it was 0405, he set the uh, Owen Sound franchise record for goals in a rookie season at 22. All three of these guys are going to blow right through it. And the attack of one six in a row. It's crazy. They're just the production they're getting from their rookies. And we had talked about before the season, Farzi, just about how we were both really interested in this year and this upcoming OHL entry level draft, because you're really going to get to see which teams draft better than others. And Owen Sound's basically bragging right now with that line they put together of Barlow, Gandon, Petrovsky. Um, the three of them put together just seems to have worked. Cedric gained on with 22 goals, tying Bobby Ryan's franchise rookie record, Servak Petrovsky and Colby Barlow with 21 goals apiece. all three of them playing on the same line right now. And it seems to be working well for the attack because they haven't lost since the three rookies were put together. And I watched some of their game the other night on CHL TV, the new app that they have. Um, you should get it if you don't. Uh, and they just look so good together. And even a guy like, like Barlow, he's the only 05, the true rookie, if you will, that was pointed out to me on Twitter. Um, he's just so big, he's six foot. I think he's like 215, but he moves as, as well as a guy like Ced, Cedric Gandon, who flies around out there. Gandon had a four-goal night the other night and a 4-3 overtime win. Every goal of first team that game, which is crazy. Uh, I just think the future looks so bright and on sound in a season where they traded Andrew Parrott and stuff. You look and – you think, you know, yeah, it's a rebuilding year. You know, they traded Matt Guzda. And then you look at those three and you're like, they're going to have those three for the next two years, if not longer. <laughs> it's it's awesome to see because there's not too many rookies excelling in this league this year. I, I know you, we talked about it the other night, but I, I tweeted it that there's only, uh, I think, like 10, 10 players that are, were drafted in 05. Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players that were 05 births that have over 10 goals this year and Barlow's leading all of them by five with 21 second place is Oshawa's Richie and Peterborough's Lardis at 16. So when you look at Barlow's 21, that's pretty impressive for an 05 player. It's the future that you referenced that gets me so excited just for this league and its smallest market, because who doesn't want to, 
to pull for the David in the David and Goliath battles. And arguably, Owen Sound is the David of the Ontario Hockey League as its smallest market. Both you and I have fond memories of that 2011 championship team when it was basically the Bayshore South in Mississauga for that OHL championship. And had it not been for the fans making that drive like a big parade or a big procession from Gray County into Peel region. I mean, if, if not for those fans, who knows what the attendance would have looked like, not just there, but into the Memorial Cup as well. So thinking of that, you know, a decade and a bit ago, but possibly with this core, this nucleus, uh, building this attack franchise back to a championship contender. And my, oh my, this is what you have to do in the Midwest division, which many will argue is the toughest division in the entire CHL, forget just the OHL and the Owen Sound attack, at least right now, the early returns look pretty good for the next few years. I just think back, Mike, to when Mike Fuda got Bobby Ryan to come to Owen Sound and what that move pulling in a player like Bobby Ryan did for that franchise. Now you have three players that are about to break his rookie franchise scoring record. So are you telling me the Owen Sound Attack have three Bobby Ryans on their roster right now? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to put too much pressure on the three of them right. because it is Bobby Ryan, but that's, that's a pretty interesting stat where three of your rookies are about to break your franchise scoring record. And Listen, I didn't watch a lot of Bobby Ryan's games, but I'm assuming these three are probably getting a little more ice time than Bobby did in his rookie season, just the way the landscape of the OHL is. But regardless, if Owen Sound's going to have these three for the next two to three years playing together, holy cow, they've put it together in the rookie season. They're only going to get stronger. They're only going to get bigger. They're only going to get faster. And that that franchise draws really well because there's not much else to do in Owen Sound. It's going to be packed up there full of just scouts, let alone fans. The three of them seem to have found some chemistry. And I, I just, I mean, it's going to be fun, but I can't wait to watch them. The, the team over the next two to three years, it's going to suck for Rangers fans. I'm sure <laughs> because they're scoring at an unbelievable clip, um, but stick tap to Dale DeGray, who just continues to get it done. Like you, you look back, there's stars coming out of Owen Sound every year whether it was Maxime Shushko or whether it was Nick Suzuki or whether it was Aiden Dudas and Sean Dursey, there's always a couple in on sound that always seem to graduate to the next level. You mean Nick Suzuki, the former Guelph Storm? Because they'll no. be sure to remind you of that. Just pointing that out to you. Played like 12 games. Relax, Larry. <laughs> uh, we got to give a stick tab to the uh, OHL champions for uh, 2022, the Hamilton Bulldogs as well. Uh, winners of nine straight overtaking Mississauga for tops, not just in the Eastern Conference, but in the Ontario Hockey League. I'm starting to look a lot more at that West versus East, and we've talked for a long time about West being best, and you and I have chatted about this on the podcast before too, but uh, the Eastern Conference is standing up to be counted. Is it because East is playing East and West is playing West? I don't know, but there's a lot to like about that Bulldogs team. I make the joke, but I mean it too. It's just a half joke that I think this is the team to beat. When you add the best defenseman, you add the best forward at the trade deadline to an already good club. I think the pressure's on in Hamilton to go back to that OHL championship where they just were four years ago. So looking good over there and uh, nice to see for the city and a great owner that we already mentioned who does things, I think, the right way. It's nice to see for the franchise for sure. Fantastic owner, Michael Anlauer. I worked with him when I was interning at the call or at uh, Mohawk College with the Hamilton Bulldogs. Still got my championship watch from their Calder Cup trip that he gave us, even though I was an intern. Just little things like that that go the extra mile for an owner. You mentioned that they went out and got the best forward and the best defenseman. Steve Steos put the pressure on Jay McKee. 
because there's you talk about how Hamilton's going to win. Hamilton's going to they have to win now. Like anything other than an OHL championship is a failure. Yeah, quite quite frankly, you go out and you get the best forward and the best defenseman. You better win, and they have been winning. But I we didn't talk about this, and I it's an honest question because I was having a conversation this weekend, and we often get asked about. Well, I know I do, and I'm sure you do as well. We often get asked about the OHL when you're out with friends or family or whatever. And I was in conversation about the Hamilton Bulldogs. And I said, we were talking about Arbor Jackeye. And I'm wondering if I'm wearing my Rangers glasses, maybe even two sets because I saw him so much. But the conversation led to the question, is Arbor Jackeye the best player in this league? I think you can make a case for it. I Absolutely, I would say the best defenseman. But sure. it, 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 it's hard. It's hard to not make the case as best player. And sure, maybe there's that bias because we saw him so much, but you just have to look at the story. And I think when you when you consider the story as a free agent invitation into the O, a free agent invitation to the pros where he signs a contract after his first pro camp, when you consider what it takes to accomplish that and then recognize that he's bringing that kind of dedication and commitment to the game Today, listen, I'll take I'll take a team full of guys with heart like that over a team full of guys with talent, flat out skill like Luke Evangelista, if I can put it that way. And Wyatt Johnston, for example, when we look at guys that like to tear it up offensively, they're, they're those intangibles, if you will, that heart that everybody loves so much. And I think you get that in spades with Arbor Jackeye. So I'd put him in the conversation. I'd gladly have that conversation over a pint of beer with anybody, but you're going to have a hard time moving me off best defenseman, best player. I'll open my ears to a little bit more, but damn, there's a convincing case. I think on both of those fronts. Yeah. Best defenseman. I don't even think it, I won't even have the the argument or the discussion. I think he's hands and shoulders above the best defenseman. I just thought, because someone asked why, why isn't he playing pro? Like what can't he do to play pro? I didn't have an answer. There's, there's nothing he can't do. I, the only reason he's not playing pro is because he just signed as a free agent. Go back to the OHL, dominate, show us you meant for pro, which is what he's done. Like you watch any, I've watched a couple of Bulldogs games. He's head and shoulders, the best player on the ice. Sure. Like he, he can defend well. He's heavy to play against. He makes the first outlet pass. He's tough to defend or tough to beat in the neutral zone. He can skate. He provides the goals. He can quarterback your power play. There's I honestly, I'm, trying to find something in this league that he cannot do. And I don't think there is anything. He has added shootout goal winners to his arsenal. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. I just, anyway, it just came in a conversation. I wanted to know your point of topic. It's a conversation that we could have for ages because Luke Evangelista, Wyatt Johnston, Rory Cairns, I'm sure I'm Oh, Brennan Othman, even there's tons yeah. of tons of players we can talk about, especially on the offensive side of the puck that can do so many things. Luke Evangelista's skill set is off the charts. Um, I just, and I'm, I'm sure that I am a little biased because we got to see Arbor so much and his development over the years. But I just was looking at this year and I thought I I haven't seen a player dominate the game like we saw Arbor do in his time with the Rangers on any other team this year. That's a fair point. One of the guys, the guy that is our guest on OHL stories this week is a guy that was one of the best in the league when he was in it remains. When you look at the alumni, one of the best Guelph storm ever and a guy that we covered early on while you were still almost playing with. And I was covering when I started in this league, but lots of fun to get this guy on the pod this week.
Yeah, I love when we were talking with him. You're like, oh, did did Marty snipe on you, Pope? Like, yes, everyone sniped on me, Farsi. <laughs> and everyone. I like to uh, remind people of that. That's all. It keeps you I appreciate honest. It. Yeah, no, it does. Um, Marcus Stroman once said, height doesn't measure heart. And I think you could basically have that as a tagline for Marty St. Pierre's career in the OHL and in professional hockey. Uh, the all-time Guelph Storm assist leader, tops near the tops for all-time Guelph Storm points, an OHL champion with the Guelph Storm. Uh, multiple NHL teams, three original six, a 20 plus career, 20 plus years career from the OHL until his retirement finally. And now he's going to turn to something a little less stressful and fighting fires. Ladies and gentlemen, Marty St. Pierre. Well, Marty, I was just saying to you as we got this thing started that uh, both Popers and my careers are kind of tied to yours. Chris was still trying to make the OHL when you were a rookie. I was just starting in broadcasting and Guelph was where Rogers TV put me. And here we are about a year to the day since you announced your retirement and more than a thousand professional games. How does like, that's a staggering number. Yeah. Time flies, huh? No kidding. <laughs> Did you ever and think I, I remember, a thousand? Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, um, a thousand came to a point where a few years ago, I was like, Oh wow. I'm, I'm close to a thousand you know, to me, that is a, is a big accomplishment. But then you kind of think, you watch some NHL games and you're like, these guys are playing a thousand games in the NHL, let alone some guys are playing a thousand games for the exact same NHL team. And that's, I think that's even more astonishing. I mean, we play 56 games in Europe. It's less, a little less taxing on the body, but those guys are grinding out 82 games uh, plus playoffs and a thousand games. That's crazy. But it seems like yesterday, 20, was it 22 years ago that, uh, I was, uh, getting picked up at, <laughs> at the old, um, I think it was the Memorial garden or whatever in Guelph. Yep. Yep. Uh, my dad came and dropped me off and my old roommate, Charlie Stevens was picking me up to, uh, to head to my billet. So that was, uh, that was exactly 22 years ago. Yeah. Long time. You think about it, your playing career was 21 years from major junior to the end of pro. When you, when you were younger though, did you ever think that's what I want to do? Spend 20 years playing hockey? No, I mean, not 20 years, (laughs) but, uh, uh, you know, I played in 12 different countries in 17 years. Never, I'd ever thought that I would do that again, but that's, those are good life experiences and memories. But, you know, growing up as a kid, I think it was just more, I want to be a hockey player. You know, you kind of dream you want to play in the NHL, but I think it was just to play hockey, hockey, hockey. And then as you grow older, you kind of realize that, well, I can keep up with these guys or oh, I can score a bit more goals. And uh, next thing you know, you're playing the OHL. And, you know, as a young guy, I, I had a good season. And then, whoop, you know, I can hold up to these NHL draft picks. And I never got drafted, but um, then, oh, we win the OHL Cup and I get to get, you know, overage player of the year. So then you kind of, you know, I can play probably in the NHL or, try to get a kick at the can, but um, never I thought when I was a kid, no, 21 years of uh, junior pro hockey, but I'm pretty happy I did it and have no regrets. Even before that time with the Guelph Storm and the Ontario Hockey League, you had the opportunity to play in that legendary tournament in Quebec, right? Where it's like the, it's like a Stanley cup. If you get a chance to play in that thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny because last week I was at my parents' house, just east of Ottawa here we had some uh, memorabilia and little pins and little medals from, from that tournament. And, you know, you hear from anywhere from uh, guys all over the States that, you know, especially around Boston, there's a lot of teams from Boston or Detroit that um, they still do go play at that Pee Wee tournament. I think we played the Russians back in my days. 
uh, and we got spanked. But uh, I would love to find out, find that score sheet against that Russian team and see if there's any guys that actually played in the NHL because there's some good Russians on that team. But that was pretty fun as, as uh, geez, I don't even know how old I was, maybe what, 11 years old or something. You're getting asked autographs coming out of the rank or getting in the hotel. So that was just a great experience for especially Peewee, second year Peewee uh, minor league hockey players, right? Take us back to your first year in Guelph, Marty, where what was your welcome to the OHL moment when you got to Guelph? Oh, my. Welcome to Guelph. Well, I think uh, Charlie Stevens picking me up. Um, that was that was a pretty big deal. I mean, he was drafted by, I want to say it was Washington first or second round. I remember his license plate was something like uh, NHL 99 or some mod about him being drafted. So it's pretty uh, intimidating, but he was the nicest guy on earth. And um, I think it was my first or second uh, exhibition game. I got absolutely smoked center ice. Um, still kind of getting used to the speed and the just bigger guys because I played through two back in Hawkesbury in 99. Um, and it's not even close to that. But uh, uh, I remember the visor kind of cut me <laughs> on my chin because they just came down. I was like, wow, okay. Uh, I got to keep my head up a little bit and that's how fast it is. But it was probably the best thing for me that happened right away to kind of a little wake up call and keep my head up and not kind of cross the ice with my head down. Um, but then again, I probably still did it within like the last two years, right? Playing, but uh, you're just being a stubborn player. But I think that was, that was a big thing that from, you know, minor hockey to Pee Wee Bantam, tier two, then you play in the OHL. The, the game's definitely faster. Guys are bigger, uh, obviously older too, because you're playing with, you know, if you're a 16, 17 year old, you're playing against 19, 20 year old that, I've been drafted in the NHL, so that was probably the <clears throat> the reality. But um, for me, also, just uh, we my first year, we were moving into this. I don't know if it's called the Sleeman Arena still or in Guelph, <clears throat> but uh, we had great fans. I think they were selling out like 40, 44, 4,600 fans a game. So that was pretty cool as far as a young guy trying to you know play in front of that many people. Um, so those are those are the early memories, but. Um, I remember it being hard for the first couple of months, especially being away from home, right? You have your village, you have to adjust a second family, but uh, everything went smooth so far from then on. What, what team do you remember least liking to play against? Least liking? Well, I think right away uh, with Guelph, it was either Kitchener or London. It was just already stamped <laughs> before I even got there. Um, Kitchener being so close, right? Um, probably the closest team in the NHL in between the two cities. Um, and then London has, they were always big rivalries for some reasons. Um, so right away, uh, my first couple of years, I think it was like Rick Nash. They had, you know, Kartners and all, not Matt Kartner. They had, um, that's a big defenseman, uh, a lot of draft picks. Um, and I know Kitchener was stacked with, with guys. Um, so those were, uh, you know, really hard right away to, uh, to get into it, let alone I was still trying to get used to the OHL, let alone the rivalry. Um, and then we were still playing in the old London arena, the old, uh, I couldn't even tell you what the name was, but that was pretty intimidating for them. So, um, yeah, those are the two teams right away from, from the get go, same division teams and rivals and, and it didn't stop. And I'm sure it still goes on to this day, <laughs> you know? So, it does. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it hasn't yeah. changed. Yeah. There you go. How tough was it for you to 
come into the league being a smaller guy with such bigger guys back then, especially on the back end? Yeah, it was the old, uh, it was the old, uh, before the old CB, I guess the old rules before CBS was a lot more, much more clutch and grab and stuff. But I think we had a good mix in Guelph, um, you know, with Maureen McCormick, Charlie Stevens and all those guys. And we had guys like Kevin Dahlman, who was a small, smaller player uh, on the back end, but had a lot of success. Uh, but I think that the, the chemistry that we had in Guelph and the way that we were playing uh, kind of benefited me as a small guy. Uh, but again, you have to, you have to adjust pretty quick or else I would have got smoked again, center ice and probably <laughs> a few other cu- cuts in my face. But um, it's just like anything else. You just, you have to analyze real, real quick. And you know, you're a, you're a boys, you're a boy against men now and you want to be a man against men. So you have to take a hit, give a hit. And then, uh, you know, not back down, but you can stay in your lane. You got to know your role and, and know when to keep your mouth shut, I guess. Do you remember a time you maybe didn't keep your mouth shut and it got you in some trouble? Well, I had Colt King as my winger. So I was uh, Andrew Brown and Colt King. So that was uh, definitely created a lot of space for me. Um, I was pretty lippy back then, but nothing uh, concrete that, uh, that I do remember Colt kind of telling me after a couple of games, he's like, listen, like I'll back you up, but don't, uh, don't bring it upon yourself to, you know, don't, uh, don't start the fire if you can't put it out kind of thing because he would be putting out right so um but then again like i said we had a good mix he was able to put the puck in the net and i was able to feed him the puck and create some space and then i could do my thing so that was a good good combo but no i learned real quick not to trip against the uh, the older guys because i would get put in the put in the hospital real quick you had jeff jackson as a coach you yeah. guys had a really bad game up in on sound one night do you remember uh that what happened hey, when you got one, home? Is, is it the one we bag skated at two o'clock in the morning? Oh yeah, that fuck. That was a that was hell. It was an Owen Sound or Sarnia. Uh, either way, around that corner of Ontario, yeah, we got spanked. I think it might have been seven one and seven. I can't even remember, but yeah, we got back. And then I remember our arena uh, obviously was attached to the golf mall downtown and. There's uh, security lights from the mall that would glare onto the ice, uh, just barely glare, cover two sections and glare a little bit on the ice. And I remember getting in and then he's like, we're going on the ice, kind of like the whole miracle on ice uh, mentality. And sure enough, it had to, we had school the next day too. Um, yeah, we got dressed, soaked gear, soaked gitch and uh, no pucks and then we had to skate i can't remember how long we skated but man did we ever hate him for that but rightfully so you know we had a few bad games i think in a row and he was trying to teach us a lesson but um we had to do boards to boards and i think we had to yell a certain phrase every time we're touching the boards kind of like i said miracle on ice when they're getting bag skated but that was uh that was hell that wasn't fun i don't think we lost a game after that for a while but uh (laughs) definitely put uh spark uh under a butts to, to not get spanked like that for seven, seven, one. Yeah. Who'd want to go through that again. Right. That's good incentive. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and especially with guys that are 17, 18, 19, you kind of don't want to go through that again. And I think I remember guys being just zombies, you know, the next day and billets were asking where we were. And, you know, it was just, uh, he was on his own page said, trying to teach us a lesson, but um, I can't remember how well we did after, but I'm sure we did fairly okay or at least it was the effort was there i think that's what he was asking from us real what quick just on that note sorry mike 
just why do you think Marty, you just quit a year ago. So you you're playing now and you played back then. Why do you think that kind of tactic worked better back then than if you tried it now? Well, Jeff was really old school and it was more like a college mentality. So you have a little bit more control, but I think nowadays you have, I don't know, you have a lot of guys that are on different pages and different philosophies and mentalities and they see the, you know, they're molded into a certain player from their strengths guy, strength coach in the off seasons. And it's very hard to, you know, to, it's, it's tough for coaches because you, there's so many variants and different types of players. Some players need to kick in the ass, a slap in the head. I don't know what during the game, but probably his winger, you can't do that because he's more fragile. You just have to talk to him better. Um, the other one, you probably just have to ream him out in between the first and second in your office or so. I don't know. It probably worked better before because that was more like the old school mentality kind of thing. And I say old school, this is early 2000s, not even in the eighties and nineties. So I can't even imagine what they were going through, but, um, yeah, just, I think guys bought in more back then. I think it was not violence by any means, but just more rough and tough kind of thing. Uh, and nowadays it's very touchy because you have a lot of things that depend on the like, guys are a little bit more soft these days, I would say uh, mentally. And I wouldn't say physically because there's guys that are way better in shape than when we were, but I think, yeah, it, it's touch and go nowadays. You got to be careful. What was it like then transitioning from Jeff Jackson to Sean camp? Obviously Sean had been there as an assistant, but then he becomes the head coach and obviously different guys. What's that like as a player? Yeah, so I was with Camper in, in Guelph in Tier 2, Junior 8, 99-2000. So Camper and I came up together. And obviously, I, I know Camper. We had success. I had the Rookie of the Year in, in that uh, CJ Challenge, 99-2000. So he was uh, he was my type of coach. I think Jeff was uh, – we had some good games. I mean, we had a good record to start with. I think he was implementing more of a college atmosphere, college structure, whether it was on and off the ice with school – uh, with the players and it's kind of tough too with playing major junior you have to travel you have to do this and, um, and then it kind of faded away and you kind of started losing some guys and um, you know we had uh, it was time at some point I think it was halfway through the season to kind of just like any you know hockey's a business and and, and move on but um, I got along with Jeff also but at some point uh, he was very systematic and I felt for me as I got to take some chances and sometimes in systems and as an offensive players. And I didn't feel like I could do that, especially the line that I was with, you know, Dustin Brown and all those guys, Dan Faye. And when we went with camper, I think it was more beneficial to my type of, my type of game. And um, I think it kind of showed with, uh, with the record that we had with camper and, um, everybody loved camper, you know, and, and everybody loved, uh, Jeff too. It's just a matter of sometimes it just, some coaches, uh, the spark kind of fades out a little bit quicker. Some guys takes five, seven years and you know, it is, what it is, it was, uh, that's hockey for you, but yeah, camper was awesome. We had some defensive systems. We had some offensive systems and, uh, we were able to go into London and beat London, but then they would come in our building and, and beat us as well. So, um, uh, but I have nothing bad to say about Camper. He's great. And I, uh, you know, I heard he's having success in that uh, University of Guelph. And I can't even, uh, I don't even doubt that. That's that's Camper. He's had success wherever he's gone. One more Jeff Jackson story out of you first. Um, yeah. Do you remember the time, though, basically the entire team broke curfew? Yeah, I was there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I forgot about that. 
Yeah, I think uh, what was it? I, that's the thing with him too. Is you know, I don't know if it's in the state because his guys are twenty one. It's college and all that stuff. But we were allowed to have a few beers. And but then again, in Guelph, you walk across the street and there's you know Trappers Alley Trappers. and Ballas. <laughs> and I was at Trappers quite a bit. But then again, you know, my play wasn't sliding or anything. So I had you know. But for um, you know, I remember I think I called in. We had curfew at 10.30. We had to call in a call block kind of thing. And I had to cover for Charlie, my roommate. And I call in. <laughs> you have to say your name. And then the next day, he pulled me in his office, replayed the clip. He's like, that's the same voice of you and Charlie. He's like, why are you covering for Charlie kind of thing, right? So I got called out on that. But, yeah, we were a few guys. I think we won quite a few games. Um, I want to say maybe we had like a Friday and Saturday game for some reason. And we weren't playing till the Thursday after. So we had a day off the Sunday and we decided to walk across the street. And then we were, we're like, you know what, if one does it, we're all doing it kind of thing. The older guys, and we might've been 10 guys, the older guys, <laughs> the 18, 19 or whatever it was, had a good night. Like we've had in the past and somehow we got back to, to Jeff and uh, yeah, it was the next game we were at home. And then he's like, yep, all you guys are not playing. You're in the, one of the suites and we were getting booed and people oh my god it was horrible but i mean it was just the whole fact that he was trying to implement the curfew and you gotta follow the rules and the coaches and you know we didn't really have a curfew with camper that's the thing but he's like you know if like, we start losing some games or guys are starting to slip then we'll put a curfew on but then we ended up winning the championship so we never had a curfew <laughs> Yeah, when you're you sitting know. ten guys in a in a, in a suite because they missed curfew, that's yeah. one way to send a message. It was right above the Zamboni entrance too, and I remember <laughs> fans were turning like this is embarrassing because the team got spanked. I can't remember again too, but it was in all over the newspapers, and it was just literally like we went for beers when he said no, but you don't say that to Jeff Jackson. So we got a we got our BB whacked for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just mentioned uh, the championship with Sean Camp, obviously. Yeah. When you look back uh, on your time in Guelph, Marty, could you, can you see the way it, like, building up to that championship? And particularly, of course, the 4 year, it's active at the trade deadline. Everything seems to be going in that direction. Yeah, um, we knew that, you know, Dustin, Dustin Brown was leaving. He was a high draft pick to LA. Um, you know, we had Adam Dennis as far as the net. Uh, we got Klein from St. Mike's. We got Girardi from Barry. Um, you know, we got Nico back from, uh, from the Sioux, um, which was my co-captain. And then we had, you know, we had guys like Brett Trudell that played with me and Callahan. So Callahan basically on my line took over from Dustin Brown. And again, he's a right shot can score, can he's fast creating some space. Um, and then, Brett Trudell, who was not a big high draft pick, but just fit in perfectly with me and Cali. So that was kind of like a steal for us um, from the Sioux. And then he played on the top line. So that's just part of good scouting and good, you know, coaching and stuff. So there's me, Cali and Trudy, and then you have Pai. And then we made some trades for, uh, you know, Cam Jansen. So we needed like, a tough guy. Um, but Cam was, you know, he's a great guy, great teammate. But, man, everybody was scared of him. So he would create a lot of space for him. So sometimes we'd go into Peterborough and they'd put him on my line. So I would just dump the puck right in his corner and he would just beam right to the Ds and create some space. And then after – in the second period, they put me back with Callahan. And then the Ds would think, like, can he – it was getting, you know, 
smoke them in the boards, but it was me and Callie's and we'd take the puck. So it was just, it was just like a big tactic, but he helped us out tremendously during the finals. Um, but then we had guys like Matt Ryan, you know, um, but then again, our power play was, you know, incredible with Klein, Girardi, Trudell, me and Callie. Um, so you could see, you could tell over the years, the Mem, the Mem Cup, we did well, you know, as far as the first game and then second game is Kootenai, we kind of choked and then we just never could get back to it. But, um, you know, adding a piece here, adding a piece there and kind of thing. And then leading up to, uh, our last piece was Cam Jansen in 2004. And then we just steamrolled, uh, you know, uh, the rest of the season. And then, um, you know, our biggest challenge was, uh, the conference finals against London. And after that, we ended up swiping, uh, Mississauga in, in four games in the finals. So, um, but yeah, it, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, a lot of trades and a lot of time and buying into the system, but uh, Sean Camp was really good at it for uh, making us do that. We want to get to the Memorial Cup in just a little bit, but I'm sure the no curfew from Camper in Cologne is a lot different than no curfew at Guelph. But. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, we, we, uh, they made sure that our hotel was far enough. Uh, and I was actually rooming with Cam Jansen and Jenny's like, ah, I didn't want to go out. I want to go out. And I'm like, but it's not the time and place. Like it's only for a week. Uh, but yeah, Kelowna, I remember World Cup was like May 18th to the 26th or something. So it was really nice outside. It's Kelowna, BC weather. Um, yeah, we didn't do well at all. <laughs> we were, were you one of the guys, were you one of the guys that got caught in the casino? No, no, no. That was another team. That was, uh, that wasn't us. Uh, thank God. But, uh, no, I can't remember. I might've been one of the Gatineau guys, um, that got caught, but no, that was not us. Thank God. Like I said, our hotel was far enough. We might've been like a few miles down, uh, from the center town, wherever the rink was. And there's nothing around. So there's no time to get, uh, to get in trouble. But again, by the time we got to the Mem Cup, we were, you know, we played seven games. That series against London, the conference finals, was absolutely draining. It was a Stanley Cup for us in, in the OHL. Game seven in London. Um, it, even if we swept the finals against Mississauga, we were absolutely exhausted. Um, so um, there's no time to go out. And <laughs> we were literally practicing, go eat, and then rest up. So there's no uh, – didn't even need curfew in Kelowna. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask about that. Because you mentioned London being obviously the, the toughest out in the conference final in seven yeah. games, but you were also up three one in the series, and then you have to go on the road to win Game Seven. What was the what was the psyche of the that team was, like? Yeah, that was crazy because um, we won one of the games in London. Yeah, so we knew we could win in London, but I mean that building is intimidating as far as where this sits. What ten, twelve thousand, or whatever it is, maybe eight to 10,000 or whatever, but definitely way bigger than Guelph. Um, and they were a powerhouse. They had way more draft picks, NHL draft picks. Um, and then game seven in London, you know, uh, but I remember it was, uh, yeah, we were leading three, one. And then uh, we, I think it was a tie game. I think it was a tie game after two. And then we just, I don't know what camper said, but we just kind of got a, a second win. And then, um, I want to say it's Callahan or Paya that scored. And then we scored two empty net goals. But I think uh, Paya scored the second empty net goal, of course. But I think we jumped like it was like the actual OHL championship. Yeah. But um, I don't really know what happened. Maybe it was meant to be because they won the year after and they won the whole, the whole thing. So maybe it was our time. But um, it was a tough building to play. 
they had, but I remember that they benched Rob Shrimp. They benched Shrimpy during that final, I guess the conference finals or something, or one of those big guys got benched. Uh, so that kind of really helped us. I don't know what, I think it was Rob Shrimp. Um, so that kind of helped us um, because one of those guys get benched. It's, you know, helps us for to get a better player on the ice too. So, um, but no, those are memories I'll have forever. I remember second empty net goals. We were jumping as high as you can. Um, and then we had to play another final because we thought it was going to be a little bit harder. But um, that was definitely our, our OHL cup, that game seven in London. Yeah. Marty, we've had Janny on this podcast. It was a ride. Yeah. yeah um, for sure. I think he said he scored oh. the game winning goal in that game. Yeah. Seven, but whatever, you know. <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was it like, though, when you hear the news of Jansen being traded to Guelph? But then that big personality, Janny, comes walking into a very tight dressing room when he's carrying his suitcases. You know, he's got yeah. the big. Yeah, what, yeah, what was yeah. it like when Janny first came in? Yeah, it was actually, like I said, it was in Peterborough. Um, and he walked in the room and I, it was the old rink in Windsor. So I just remember him from there and he's, he hurts, he hurt guys. Like he was a man against boys. Um, and he had this white under armor, you know, skin tight shirt. And he looked like the under armor was like those mannequins, like a flawless upper body. And it was like, who is this guy? The nicest guy ever. Yeah. He's funny. And he'll say some, you know, random stuff <laughs> you're like what <laughs> but uh yeah that that first game uh he was on my right side so he wanted me to dump the puck but he didn't even want to touch the puck in the neutral zone so basically break out I wouldn't even look to my right and it's easy for me because I'm a left shot so I would look to my right as he is a right-handed shot too but I mean look I'd skate skate and then dump it in left in the right corner so across from Jansen uh, he's like, just leave it there and I'll fucking take care of it. So then you hear him, <laughs> hey, he would skate and just scare the shit out of these defensemen. And like, if, if he hit those guys, he would really take a spatula and peel them off the boards. But if he would miss them, which three quarters of the time he would miss them, he would smoke the boards just as hard as, oh man, probably hurt the boards, <laughs> if anything. But the sound that it made, like, you better off, it's almost you probably want to get hit instead of hearing that sound of the boards because he did not stop at all. Um, and he did that all game and then just create some space for us. But he was just a nice addition, fit in well, just a, a nice guy, well-respected. And obviously he had his career after that, well, you know, well-deserved for him. Did Owen Sound give you a scare at all in that first round? It went seven games. You had, you had home yeah. ice, obviously, but it was back and forth, home and home. Yeah, because we had, you know, they had a good team. And the Duvos, the Jarrett's and all that. But we um we had a few goals that were let in from our their blue line, just wild you know lobs and um that got in and I think they came back and they won a couple of games in Guelph and we're like oh shit you know this is that's a team that's going to beat us kind of like uh you know one of those L.A. Kings that sneak up in eighth place and they win the Stanley Cup kind of thing or St. Louis I guess but um but yeah that was th- that game seven. The, Honestly, we had no idea what was going to happen. We just played our heart out, and obviously we took over as far as we were definitely better on paper, but they were playing really well, um, and they were matching guys and all that stuff. But um, thank God we won against them. (laughs) That was a a tough series for sure. Um, Away from the rink, 
you lived with Gary and Linda. They got a reputation in Guelph of being some of the best. What were they like to you? Awesome. They were the best. I mean, uh, I lived my first year with Charlie Stevens with uh, Damon and Nancy White, and then they stopped billing uh, for a year. Uh, and then uh, me and Nico went with uh, Dan McNeil, with uh, Gary and Linda, and then uh, Joey and Amanda, their, their, their two kids. Uh, they were the best. I mean, they would drop us off downtown. They'd pick us up downtown. They'd, we had a spool, a pool and a spa in the back. Uh, the, the food, they, they bent over backwards for us. And that makes life so much easier for young guys like us. Or now by then we're in their third and fourth year. So 19 and 20. Um, but, you know, obviously we respected them also. We are in their house, you're in their family. So we got really close to them, but um, they're, you know, they're part of our success just as much as, um as, as anybody else because like i said we had breakfast lunch made dinner every time pregame meal was done gary come home from work just to make us pregame meal and you know we had a lot of laughs they're awesome but um they like to have a couple of drinks too and you know i had buddies from auto come down and they were more than welcoming so like i said they they played a big 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 part in making life easier for us off the ice uh to have success on the ice Speaking of one of those off-ice contributors, uh, it's hard to talk about the Guelph Storm organization without mentioning the guy who's in the Guelph Sports Hall of Fame and was a fixture uh, behind that bench and part of that organization. Of course, I'm talking about the legendary Rusty Hammond as a head trainer equipment guy. What do you remember of Rusty? Rusty was always um, (laughs) happy-go-lucky. Treated If if Rusty didn't like you, oh, you had to (laughs) – you're in a pickle. Um, but no, he treated the, the draft picks and the older guys very well. And I, I was, uh, I know he was picking on some guys, but, um, he was the best, you know, he been, like I said, he'd been over backwards, sticks, equipment, skates, um, you know, and there's a reason why, you know, guys like Jeff O'Neill, Dan Cloutier, Todd Bertuzzi, or whoever would come back in town. And first guy they would see is Russ Salmon, right? Come to rank, right in his, in his office. And, you know, you come back from, School, you go and practice, boom, Todd Bertuzzi's in his office. Like, what's going on, right? Just uh, he uh, he was the same from mid-90s to whenever he retired, you know, a few years back. So um, he was the best. And, and equipment guys, they work behind the scenes and a lot, they don't get uh, enough credit, um, you know, from, like I said, from sticks to whatever. Uh, it, it, it can be long sometimes. So you got to deal with 20 guys, um, you know, and then some teams have different budgets and stuff. But, man, I love Russ and you know, well-deserved for his uh, accolades there. You, you look at that team and there's some standout players. And you mentioned your former roommate, Nico. Are you shocked Nico didn't get a bigger look when it comes to pro hockey? Yeah. I mean, some guys too, some guys just, you know, uh, they're good enough to maybe get a crack at the AHL or East coast. Uh, you just don't have the drive for it. Some guys take their school package and, realize that that's more for them. So I think he was one of those and he went to St. FX, which is a great school and had a good four years and graduated, met his wife. And I think he's got three kids now. So I uh, lives back in the Sioux. So things happen for a reason. Um, and then some guys kind of uh, go to school and they realize that they want to play pro. So after a couple of years, they, they leave, but um, yeah, I was surprised he had, he had the talent, he had the drive and uh, the right work ethic, but, um, like I said, it's a personal choice. I think for for some guys that are kind of like on the bubble, and it didn't really help for us that after 2004 it was the, the lockout too, right? Yeah. So everybody kind of escalated or de-escalated uh, down. So it's unfortunate. One of the things I like to do, Marty, when we're getting ready to 
to talk to a guest is look at their hockey DB page and go through the rosters and see some of the guys you might've played with some of the coaches you played for, et cetera. I'm looking through your DB page today. And every time I clicked on another AHL team, it's, Oh, Marty's leading the team in scoring. Oh, Marty's leading the team in scoring. Oh, Marty's leading the, like, do you remember the teams you didn't lead in scoring? Cause it's gotta be a much shorter list. Yeah. Yeah, First year. That was it. Yeah. That was it. (laughs) First year. Yeah. Maybe. Um, (laughs) Well, that was, that's, you know, I wasn't the biggest guy. I wasn't the fastest guy either. And that's why one of the reasons why I didn't get drafted. And that's what I've been told. Uh, you know, I didn't have that fifth, the fifth speed that, that, uh, um, that speed that would separate me from others. Right. Uh, which is fine. It's more of a playmaker. So I would let guys come to me and then pass through them kind of thing. So that was kind of like my philosophy back then. Um, but no, so, so I had to stand out and, um, you know, if I was to go on a team that would see me as a bottom six forward, um, with the type of player that I am, you know, it, it's not that easy to play that type of role, you know, shut down third line center, fourth time grinder, uh, block shots, PK, um, and you get to tip your hat to those guys that had success and had great careers in that. But for me, I had to be in top six. I had to, I had to have some PP and I was an offensive player. So I had to put up the numbers and I was very, very lucky. Um, and it sounds cliche, but year after year after year that I got put in with a lot of, you know, natural goal scorers to, you know, from Dustin Brown to Brian Callahan, those guys in juniors, to, you know, even when I turned pro, uh, Troy Brower, the Bochenskis, like just pure goal scorers. And it works out with, works out good with me because I'm a, you know, pure playmaker and, and disher. So um, I had to put up the points to, to get noticed. Um, that championship year in Guelph. I, I don't know how, how, how upset were you that Dustin Brown didn't come back besides being happy for him that he didn't come back. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it's kind of bittersweet that uh, an 18 year old makes an NHL team. I mean, it's kind of, especially in LA, but uh would have been nice. Cause he's, you know, he's the heart and soul of, of that team. Me, him and Pye kind of, you know, took, uh, took off with, uh, with golf, the new arena and the new jerseys and all that stuff. But I mean, um, I think he was on to bigger and better things to, sign his big contract in LA and you know he's still playing to this day in LA so I think the OHL championship he could have just kind of pushed it to the side and and enjoy the NHL life their names have come up uh, a couple of times uh Todd Bertuzzi Jeff O'Neill you finish it's not a bad sandwich right O'Neill yeah. uh St. Pierre and then Bertuzzi for all-time points but you just talked about being a, a playmaker by trade really all-time mm-hmm. assist leader in Guelph Storm history sitting right here talking to us and did you you must have known you were getting close to that mark because you went over by i think three or four over o'neill's number but yeah no i, I think it happened in sarnia one of the last few games uh definitely leading up i think all right one of their trainers shane maybe um i think he told me when i was up to like two or was it three something um i was like 20 point shorts he's like you're you're getting up there you know but that year um i had two three points a game easily so if I didn't get two, three points, I was, you know, I was bitter. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, three, four, I had a good game, but, uh, and then, yeah, I ended up passing Jeff O'Neill, but you look, he, he got to that point with probably half the games played uh, compared to me. So you can just see how, and that was like old time hockey also. Uh, so those guys were definitely studs back in the day, but um, I look back and I got hurt my third year. Uh, I broke my kneecap. Uh, blocking a shot so I played I think I only had 56 points um uh, I mean I had an okay season but uh if I kind of had maybe you know 65 to 70 points I was kind of healthy whatnot I would have 
pass the all-time points. But, uh, I mean, you can't have it all. But uh, definitely a good accomplishment to finish all-time assist leaders. But, again, Jeff, uh, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff did that with half the games played. But we'll, we'll keep it as number one for now. Absolutely. That's what it yeah. shows. That's yeah, yeah, That's right. Exactly. When, when did you decide to cut the hair? Well, I cut the hair. Yeah, I think I cut the hair after uh, when I won the OHL. I cut that hair right off. It was a little way too thick. And then I grew it um, when I was in Rockford, I think in 2000. Uh, it might have been 2002. No, 2009, 2008 maybe. I grew it back again. And then I kind of I realized that there's a reason why I cut it after winning the OHL. So I donated to Locks of Love and they made some wigs out oh, of nice. it, wigs out of it. Yeah. So it kind of worked out good, but my hair is not made to, uh, to be that thick and that long, but it, it was cool. while it lasted, uh, in junior for sure. It was a heavy mop. It was the heavy mop. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you got a chance to play 39 NHL games, three goals. Do you remember them all? Yeah. Yeah. Two against Pittsburgh and one in uh, New York, uh, I guess the Islanders. Yep. Uh, first one, I was uh, I was on the plane, and Patrick Lalim, who sat beside me, uh, was a goalie at that time for the Blackhawks. I got a good feeling for you. You know, you're gonna score. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. And the old Pittsburgh Arena. It was on the power play with Havlat, Peronto, Wisniewski, and I can't remember who else. But uh, it was a shot from the point, tipped off Fleury's ba- uh, left pad, and I. had I was coming down from my side on the power play and barely buried it up in net and then went behind the net. And our backup goalie was in the entrance where the uh, visiting team comes on. And I saw Patrick Lillian, he's pointing at me. He's like, I told you so. Uh, so that was, that was good. And then the second one was, um, uh, it was with Pittsburgh. I scored one with uh, Chicago and then two with Pittsburgh, uh, two with uh, Boston. And then the one was in Pittsburgh. I was playing PK for some reason. <laughs> and then uh, Crosby, Crosby tried to feed it through the box to Malkin, who was behind me, and I caught it with my skate. Thank God, because I was going to be an open net. And then me and Mark Savard went on two on one, and uh, I scored against Fleury then. And then the other one was against New York Islanders. Just a dump in Sean Thorne and me and Sabotka kind of uh, just threw behind the net and threw a backhand up. So, uh, but those goals, if I can relive them, relive them in my head. Uh, in slow motion. So, um, but I'll take those three goals any day. Yeah, three is better than our combined none, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, that your time in the NHL, you get called up for five straight seasons and then a four year break before your final call up for one game with Montreal. Mm-hmm. Those four seasons in between, did you ever think you were going to get another shot? Uh, no, I, I knew I became a suspect instead of a prospect. <laughs> if you want to call it that, <laughs> but um, no, I think my time was done in, in the sense where, you know, like they gave me all the shots that I needed trying to crack the lineup and all that stuff. So I had a good, my best shot in Chicago and my best one in Boston. And they had three points in four games. And then the all-star break came around and I had to play my nine game, ninth game in Toronto, scoring the shootouts against Toscala. And then they sent me down. And then if I had to play my 10th game, I had to get put on waivers, get back to if I got sent back down and um I was on flyer me Marchand Tuka Boychuk in Providence they were tearing it up so um it was just you know politics get involved and and uh it is what it is draft picks and, and that's the nature of the business right 
And then um, my last in Montreal, I'd love to play one game. Sorry, Marty, you just, you just cut out there. Can you start up again about the last call up? Oh, I cut. I caught it. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're good. You're back now. Yeah. Just, just start off where you said my last call up there. Oh, the last call up. Yeah. I was, uh, <laughs> it was in Boston and then uh, we played, uh, it was in Providence. It was me, you know, me, Marchand, Boychuk, Tuka. We had, we had a good team and I was in uh, Toronto played against scoring shootouts. And then it was the last, um, it was the all-star break. So I got sent down and then they didn't want me to play my 10th game. So they didn't want to lose me, which as far as an organization, I get it, but it's kind of frustrating back then. So, um, and then I became this, you know, all-star AHL player. And then, um, the very last call up was, uh, yeah, I was in Hamilton, told my agent I wanted to play one game for the Montreal Canadians. If you could get me there. And, uh, you know, within a few minutes, I got a contract with the Hamilton Bulldogs and then, uh, I got the captain there and then, you know, kind of put my ass off all year just to get that one game. And I finally got the game me, one game in, in with at the Bell Center with the Montreal Canadiens. So that was uh, that was a cream of the crop for me. You know, playing my first NHL game or scoring my first NHL goal, but playing at the Bell Center because I grew up watching the Montreal Canadiens. My parents are big Habs fan. Basically, my whole hometown was there from east of Ottawa, and uh, then I knew I could you know shut it down and and make a career out in Europe and not having to you know second guess myself if I can play up in the NHL or not. That's fantastic. And and when you cap it, even like all that significance, obviously with Montreal, but your three teams, Montreal, Boston, Chicago, not a bad trio yeah. of NHL teams. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that was, uh, and then I had three games in Ottawa, which was just kind of short stint, but um, it's pretty cool to have played uh, three of the six original, uh, three of the six original six teams. So that's uh, definitely good memories for sure. So what was it? Take us through that day, Marty, because you spent so long in the American league and you talked to your agent about wanting to play in Montreal. And I'm sure in the back of your mind, or maybe even the front of your mind, you thought this is my last go in the yeah. national league. What was it like that game? Yeah, that game was, I think it was more, it wasn't so much, Oh, it's going to be my last NHL game. It was just like, Oh, this, I get to play Montreal and through my family, my parents, you know, it was kind of like a thank you to them and have them have great memories with their friends too. And everybody's watching on TV. So, uh, that game flew right by. It lasted like it felt like it lasted five seconds. Um, but um, yeah, looking back, it, it was my last chance. But then again, I kind of made it into positive, and um, that's the way I look at it from now. Uh, since then, so what was Europe like? You obviously had made the decision that's where you're going to go and spend the rest of your time. What what was the transition like going to another entire continent? Yeah, um, I've been there a couple times before. I uh, know seven after Chicago um, in 2010 before I came back from to Rockford in 2012. So um, I, I love Europe. Less games, um, and I got to play in Russia for you know five years and or four years, and then uh, Slovakia, kind of like the UK, Finland here and there, um, China. So. Uh, I just, I took that as life experiences and get to travel and experience the world while playing hockey, while making good money. Um, so it was just more of a uh, life experience and trying to make some new friends and make some new teammates, some new memories. And, uh, but definitely, you know, sometimes having a 10, 12, 14 hour time difference is uh, definitely hard to, to keep in touch with friends back home. But again, um, I got to play in 12 different countries. I guess you can say 10 different countries if you take out Canada and U.S., 
uh, in 17 years. So definitely, uh, definitely add up my, uh, my point form on that point form list of, uh, life experiences for sure. Yeah. Your, your hockey DB page looks like a Walgreens receipt and that's yeah. a compliment, <laughs> not any, not a chirp, like yeah. 20 years, man. Uh, yeah. what's, what's the, uh, most pardon my language, the messed up, uh, story from your time in the KHL. Um, I think it's just, just overall, because when I went there is the old Russian KHL, um, it's a Russian super league. So just the planes, like guys can smoke on the planes. Nobody's sitting down, uh, taking off, you know, landing, uh, there's no rules, <laughs> basically. Uh, you don't have curfew. Like Jeff Jackson would put curfew. So, um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of guys that take some vitamins that you have no idea what they're taking, rushing gas, all that stuff. But, um, you know, you stay in your lane, and it, it is just like anywhere else. And um, But just I love it. You don't realize how big Russia is until you travel 12 hours with a six-hour time difference just to play a game. Uh, that's pretty far. So, um, definitely some eye openers, just some, some bad hockey rinks there, some bad airports with no toilets, just a hole in the ground. And, um, you know, it's a culture shock, but then again, you have some NHL rinks, you have some rinks there that are nicer than NHL rinks here. So you kind of have the best of both worlds, you know, were you paid on time? Uh, a lot of times, no, but uh, you always got your money at some point. Yeah. It's just, it's, that's a stressful part to it. Just sometimes just, yeah, you just want your money, but it's going to come. It's going to come. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's going to, it just come, might be in know. a plastic bag. Yeah. Yeah. Or a brown bag. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> you spend so much time over there and, and travel to so many countries. Did you pick up any other languages along the way? Um, I can, I can get around uh, colors count um hockey positions uh or food in russian i can read russian but i can't really uh carry a conversation but if it's really broken into and uh i can definitely understand especially being at the rink because our coaches would be russian right so it's always the same lingo forward d skate fast shoot you know uh the fuck are you doing (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah, exactly. You can you pick up on that and then uh, kind of get used to it. But I definitely lost a little bit. But um, yeah, it's, it, they like that you kind of learn a little bit their own language. So I know you were only up with Ottawa for three games, you said. Yeah. But one of the players on that team was Alex Kovalev. There are yeah. stories, I think, galore of his talent and just the things <laughs> he used to do. Do you have any time? Did you have any time with Alex at all or any stories about a guy like Kovalev? Yeah, well, Kobe sat beside me in the locker room in Ottawa when I got called up. And then Kobe was my assistant coach for Kunlun in, in China when I was oh, in the nice. KHL there. Yeah, so uh, we played three on three many times after practice. And this guy's still a kid, you know, 15 year old kid that wants to play in the NHL. But he's the type of guy that, you know, he's got videos on YouTube that he's a left shot. Right. So his top hand is right. And he would just stick handle puck and then put on his back end and he would shoot it and it would go bar down. Um, I've seen it many, many, many times. It's not made up. It's not, it's just no filters on that. It's actually true. I've seen the guy on his knees, uh, center ice, just stick handling the puck and call it that it's going to go up in the air and on top of the net. 
not in the net, but on top of the net and uh, stay up top. Yeah, I've seen it with my own hands, my own eyes, and uh, he instilled that stuff. I still, I follow him still on Instagram. And the stuff he does is just, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. So you watch all his highlights, and he's just so skilled. He's so big. He's got some mitts on, and he's just, uh, he's a great guy, great guy. I, 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 for you know, some people say, oh, Russians this, Russian that, but I get along with all the Russians. They're awesome. I think. Well, he was, uh, but he was fine as far as a head coach, but in. Uh, as an assistant coach, but we, the only flaw about him is he, sometimes he doesn't realize that um, we're not all Alexei Kovalev. We can't all make plays like that. So, um, you know, you kind of have to be like Kobe. I can't, I can't make that pass. I'm not you, you know? So, uh, but no, he was good. As you got towards the end, Marty, and, you know, you, you, you're going to retire. Did, did you know ahead of time, like, was there even in your own mind, like a little bit of a, a victory lap for you or a farewell to you know, COVID hit, COVID hit our season ended uh, abruptly uh, two years ago, two and a half years. Uh, no, a year, year and a half ago. Um, so I didn't really have that in my last game, my last farewell tour, but uh, I was time mentally and physically, I was just exhausted. Um, you know, living out of hotels for 17 years, traveling the world takes a toll on your body. And, uh, you know, my family is here, my parents are getting older and, uh, even though they were getting used to it, it's kind of nice to being back here and kind of spending time with them. But, uh, it was time I almost retired three years ago and I kind of wanted to push like 40 years old. And last year I'm like, there's not a chance I'm making it to 40, (laughs) (laughs) not a chance. So I'll take my 1041 you know, regular season games played pro and then, uh, and pack it in. I know. Speaking of that, like, cause <laughs> father time, I know I get it. It marches on, but you, you did some training with some of the Ottawa 67s and Jack Quinn was one of them, but yep. what, what are they doing today that you were never even thinking about when you were in yeah, these guys are Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything. And even like Wendell Clark's son, he's, he used to come down to, and they'd be like in between, uh, um, just north of Vaughn, the Muskokas, and they come down. I think they're just, they have every tool in the book, they, every tool in the shed that you want. They're just specimen. They work hard, and obviously they were doing the same training as me and Claude Giroux and Claude those guys in, in Ottawa, but um, just their philosophies, they, you know, like I said, they have the nutrition down path. Their bodies are bigger. They're just faster, stronger. You know, They have everything, so um, you ask and their work ethic is there. So once you, once you get that uh, all mixed up, you know, mix a first rounder in the NHL and, you know, Jack's playing and play the NHL full time next year. So, um, but these guys are specimens now. So that's kind of why too, for me, when I was 37, I was like, Jesus, I can't keep all of these guys. <laughs> <laughs> these guys are, they're killing me right now. So, and I was in Europe too. So I can just imagine these days here. I know you're good buddies with Claude Drew. You think he's getting traded? Where's he, where's he going? I'm not sure. I haven't, uh, I haven't talked to him about that, but I would, I would think he's getting traded. Yeah. It only makes sense as far as the business side of, uh, it sucks for him because his thousand game for Philly is coming up like March yeah, 17th or some 14th. But I think business side is going to take over. I think he's, I think he's getting traded for sure. I'd say maybe Colorado. I don't know. Okay. We'll I was just yeah, looking for a little anyway. insider information on our OHL yeah, stories but that, here. That's but that's just completely my guess. Uh, I haven't talked to him, and I'm sure if I asked, he wouldn't even tell me either. <laughs> so, <laughs> Another but, name uh, that you've brought up that's in the National League is Brad Marchand. Um, yeah. What was he like back when you were playing with him? He was the same. 
Uh, you know, he was a little cocky, Brad, uh, doing his thing, but he's a great guy. And he works hard and he's very skilled and he's had success. You know, his success, there's a reason why he's had success. Um, but he's the type of guy that if he changes his, his mojo, his, his vibe, he's not going to be the same type of player. But he's very respectful. Now he's a family man. But back then I had the first year pro Marshy, so we kind of had to get him to settle down a little bit. But um, I got along great. He's helped me, obviously, in my year in, in Providence, get the call-ups in, in Boston. So I can't thank him enough. And, you know, uh, it's fun to watch him on TV. It's funny how in this game we measure success and maybe measure it differently. Obviously, every player from the first time you put on skates is thinking about the National Hockey League. But I don't think there's any disputing, Marty, that you've had tremendous success. 17 years of pro hockey, no matter where you played it, made some money, made a living playing the game. 12 countries, we've gone through all of that. What was the key to it for you? What was the key to Marty St. Pierre's success? I think it was just uh, blocking off all the, the negatives, the media, you're too small, you're, you can't not fast enough and trying to be uh, worried where you can worry of things that you can control and, and not, you know, try to overthink yourself. But I think for me, it was a consistency of, you know, your work ethic and just battling it out and think, you know, things are trust the process and things are going to fall into place when they do. And sometimes it may take longer. You might only get a few games, but just keep working hard. And then, it's funny because the hockey world is a small world and, you know, I can't even tell you how many times that during my 14th or 15th year in Europe, it'd be like, Oh, I played with you or I played with you I don't know, in Binghamton and now I'm a head coach and you're like, Oh shit. Okay. Good thing. We were on good terms because I would be having success here. It's just, you never burn bridges. I think you just always stay focused and be a good, good guy, good teammate and just work your ass off. I think that's what I try to do my best. And that is the reason why I lasted for 17 years. Yeah. What was your favorite year? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, probably my first year was just everything was new. Just traveling, getting paid, getting free equipment, you know, uh, getting experience to pro life, but probably the first year because I got called up. Uh, but again, there's, every year is different because there's a lot of ups and downs and different experiences and different guys. So I can't really pinpoint uh, exactly which, which year. What's next? I'm, in, I'm doing firefighting right now. So I have a couple of interviews this week. Um, and uh, yeah, we're going to transition to firefighting and try to save some buildings and save some lives. And But it's it's kind of, it, there's a lot of hockey players that get into firefighting because it's as close as the, the team aspect, the communication, the, you know, the band of brothers kind of thing. Um, but obviously you got to learn how to be a firefighter too. But um, that's, that's up for me. So I don't know if I'm going to be around Toronto or Guelph or London or, God knows where, but right now, uh, just going to do that and see where it, uh, where it leads to I've, but, I've, uh, just watch some hockey games on TV. And that's about it. I've seen the guys that have done that, that join a, a firefighting crew for those reasons that you just mentioned. What I can't get out of my head though, Marty is if the building's on fire, you have to go into it. Like that's part yeah, of you the guys job. Are, you guys are going out. I'm exactly. Going <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't get over after. That, so. I can't get over after four years of junior and 17 years of pro. He still wants to have an occupation where you have to be in shape. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> don't you just want little, to have a pizza and calm down? A little different shape. Yeah. A little different shape, but that's good guys. Yeah. Um, Marty, I just want to go back your first year of pro, which you just talked about. I took a look and I, I love Greenville's name in the East coast, the growl yeah, with three R's. Yeah. 
yeah, sure you get the three R's. Roll the R, yeah. But that uh, Edmonton Roadrunners team in the American League, I was looking at mm-hmm. it, and there was a lot of young guys on that club. Was that a really fun year for you? Yeah, that was fun because – and then Jared Stoll got sent down. Uh, Rafi Torres got sent down. We had a lot of young guys, a lot of draft picks from the Edmonton Oilers that were playing on that team. So that was definitely a fun year, but that, that was my first year pro, right? So that was kind of – playing Edmonton and they put the team at the Rex Hall place in Edmonton. So we're playing in the NHL rank as it, as an AHL team, excuse me. Uh, but then you get sent down to Greenville, South Carolina, and then you get to play um, in 75 degree weather. So it's kind of like bittersweet on both getting sent down the East coast, but uh, that was definitely a fun year for sure. Cause Edmonton's pretty big hockey town. So we were getting at least 15,000 fans a game. So that was pretty cool to coming out of Guelph and going to play there. Wasn't uh, Wardy the coach there? Yeah, Edmonton. Yeah. Was the coach. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, but we uh, I think we lost like eighteen in a row. We uh, we we weren't meshing well as a team there. <laughs> <laughs> so well, we we know we've kept you, and it's normally about this time where Farzi makes a joke about me having one last question, which I normally yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you mentioned Kovalev. You mentioned Crosby. You've been around the world playing this game. Who's the player that's the most talented that you've seen? Uh, talented, I'd probably be biased and say probably Claude Giroux, but, um, I always refer him to, well, refer him, compare him to like guys like Patrick Kane. Uh, I think they're both not similar players, but the, the way that they stick out the puck, the way that they don't have long sticks, they don't have, they're not the biggest guys, but just stuff that you see them do. And I've skated with Claude in the off season, the not when I've trade with Claude and uh, obviously with Kaner for three years, I've seen him training camp and practices and stuff he does in the locker room. It's just, you know, it's crazy. I also, also saw Austin Matthews a few summers ago when I was in Scottsdale in Arizona. And you look at these guys and you're like, these guys can do stuff in practice and do it high speed in the NHL. And then you see those in highlights and you're like, I've seen that before in practice and they can do like that. So I would probably say those three guys for sure. Um, just all around well-deserved the success they had, but just naturally gifted, but then their work ethic and grinding and just wanted to be better and better and better uh, makes them all-stars. Sorry, Farzee, I have one more quick one, just real quick, and then I'm done. I promise we'll shut up. <laughs> but Marty, your hockey DB page has you listed at 5'9". I don't know how tall you yeah. actually are, but I know for five, a fact that you're 5'8 and a quarter, but yeah, I know for a fact your, your stick height is about Zidane Achara height. When did that yeah. start? Yeah, it was just in Guelph with Rusty, and we just had different sticks come in, and the lie was different, so I just put it longer, 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 and next thing you know, it was 63 inches, which was crazy long, uh, but then I had success in 2004 and just kept with it, and then when I turned pro, I had to cut it down quite a bit, and then when I got to Boston, it was an inch and a half shorter than Zeno Charles, so that's how long it was. Um, I still have my first NHL stick that I scored uh, with at my parents' house, and not a chance I would ever get back to playing with that but it was just a habit everything went well and you just kind of stick to it and then you kind of get zoned uh you know to put the blinders on and keep going doesn't matter what people are saying so but um yeah now i have a short stick to play men's hockey so no more long stick (laughs) i tell you what i never want to find myself in a burning building but if i do i hope it's you and your crew coming to pull us out (laughs) hopefully (laughs) marty thanks for doing this it's been a lot of fun you're welcome boys i'll see you later
do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.